This is Passing for Normal, conversations with authors, artists, activists, and awakeners about how they are seeding change in the world. I'm Sharon Weil, author of Donnie and Ursula Save the World, the funniest book about love, sex, and GMO seeds you'll ever read. But mostly, it's about everyday courage and what it takes to get there in your own personal, even unconventional way. So join us for fun and insightful discussion with some very inspirational people about how to turn purpose and passion into action, while at the same time, passing for normal. Hello, this is Passing for Normal, and today I have the pleasure of talking with Claire Hope Cummings, environmental lawyer, journalist, and the author of Uncertain Peril, Genetic Engineering and the Future of Seeds. Claire is a broadcast and print reporter. For six years as the food and farming editor, Claire hosted a popular weekly radio program on KPFA-FM in Berkeley, California, and she also reports regularly for KQED Television, the PBS station in Northern California. She writes stories for national environmental magazines as well as newspapers, online publications, and blogs such as Epicurean, Grist, and Beacon Broadside. Claire's stories focus on the environmental and political implications of how we eat and how food and farming reconnects us with each other and the places where we live. She brings three decades of broad experience in agriculture to her work. She has farmed in California and in Vietnam, where she had an organic farm on the Mekong Delta. For four years, she was an attorney with the United States Department of Agriculture's Office of General Counsel, where she advised environmental and native groups on environmental and cultural preservation throughout the United States, including Hawaii. For the last 15 years, Claire has been active in the local food and farming movement in the San Francisco Bay Area, helping to found the Marin County Food Policy Council and serving on the boards of organizations such as Earth Island Institute, Community Alliance for Family Farmers, Food First, and the Elmwood Institute, the predecessor organization for the Center for Eco-Literacy. Claire's book, Uncertain Peril, informed and inspired the writing of my book about the perils of agribusiness's control of seeds. Claire, I am so pleased to be able to speak to you today. Oh, I'm happy to be here, Sharon. Thanks so much. That's great. So we're, you know, we're going to be talking about seeds, and um, I was wondering, um, well, you are considered one of the most important voices on these issues of agriculture and biotechnology. So I would like to hear from you, if you could just briefly tell us the distinction between the difference between natural seeds and a traditional, uh, traditional um, plant breeding like hybrids and what people call GMOs. Okay, sure. And let's assume people have not been uh, too familiar with this. Basically, genetically modified organisms, which people now call GMOs, are created in the laboratory. And they're created with a very bizarre process. And uh, what you need to know about it is, is that the species um, don't normally mix in nature. You can't cross a tomato <laughs> with a fish no matter how hard you try. But you can do it in the laboratory. You can take a DNA from one species and insert it into another. But it's not actually that easy. So uh, it's important to know that they put all kinds of other designer genes in with this. 
And it, mm-hmm. actually, this process is one of the problems with this technology. And let's not confuse it with science, because actually the science of mix and matching and cutting and pasting DNA has been discredited. But they can make it work. Okay, so you can do a lot of stuff, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for the environment or for our bodies when we eat these things. So they mix and match the DNA, and then they hope like heck it works. They just, you know, they just, (laughs) no, literally they do like thousands and thousands of these insertions, grow them out, and if one of them works, they go, oh, wow, great, happy accident, and they clone that, and they're off and running. So um, so that's kind of the basics of how they're made. My concern with GMOs is starts there, you know, that we need to look at that process, but also with the process in which they were also imposed on us and our food system without our consent. That's, that's what right. really got me going about this stuff. That's right. So it's, it's about the control of seeds, of the seeds themselves. Right, it starts with the biological control, but the political and economic and control over agriculture is just as serious. Um, you know, if you want, Sharon, I can at the beginning of my book, in the introduction I give you, I, I basically outline five areas of concern around this technology, and I can name them if that would help. Yeah, that would be great. Tease that out. Okay, yeah. So I said there are five reasons why we should be concerned about this technology. And you'll note, I don't call it a science because it's not science Um, and that's the first one it's bad science so it relies on this sort of cut and paste um, uh, idea that has been discredited as science because now we know that RNA that, that, that these molecules they interact we know so much more when these things were made in the early 80s we didn't understand DNA and RNA we didn't understand the science on it but we were able to force it pardon I said that's true. That's true. We've known so. Right. We've learned so much more about DNA. That's right. And now we know mm-hmm. that these things talk to each other, and and they uh, they have a life of their own. So um, so, and that's actually one reason why we don't have any new good products out of this technology. Basically, it was created by the chemical industry for the chemical industry to use more chemicals, and that's right. all we've had. That's you know, eighty percent of GMOs are Roundup ready or herbicide tolerant crops. And they're made so that you can the farmer sprays more chemicals on them. Uh, so that's so it's bad science. It's also bad biology because these are living. You know, this is this is something that's really close to my heart because these are sexually reproducing life forms. Seeds are, yes. you know, and they get yes. out there and they get in the environment and they exchange their genes naturally as they should and develop interesting variations. I mean, this diversity that we have is crucial to our health and to the planet's health. So, uh, so, so, so these GMOs come along and they engage in that process and spread their designer genes around into these um, life forms, and that's a real problem. So now we have most corn is contaminated with these genes, and that's we right. have now. And I and I and I just gave a talk to the Healthy Beverage Expo in uh, Southern California, and uh, the, you know, in sugar is something that's in so many foods. I mean, we can talk about that. But now yes. GMO sugar has what the industry was able to do was get a 5,000% increase in the residues of that Roundup or glyphosate on the sugar. So it's shocking. It is shocking. There's, there's so much to say about, about how it's bad biology in the sense that, and it's also health 
really bad health policy. Yes. But um, and so I want to go back to the biology for a second. We can get back to to sugar and and the residues. But um, but what's happened is all the weeds that keep getting doused with these you know the overuse of this chemical, these herbicides, have developed resistance. That's you right. know this from antibiotics, mm-hmm. right? If you use too yes. much of it, nature finds a way around it. So now we have 14 serious, some of the most pig weeds, some of the most important weeds to farmers are now resistant to Roundup, and it can't be used anymore. So the chemical industry says, oh, no problem. We'll just use 2,4-D. We'll use stronger chemicals. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this more. is kind of a nightmare for the environment when it comes to that. And um, Anyway, the third point is it's bad social policy because yes. we didn't have a choice. We don't yes. have labels. We don't know what residues or GMOs. We don't know what's in our food because of this. It was imposed on this, and it's all patented. And we could get into that if you want, but that's a problem because it um, because it's part of what controls the seeds now. They're patented and owned. Um, it, life, this life form, is being owned by these companies. Well, let's talk about this patented business a little bit sure. because it sure. is so essential to. Um, this whole idea of control of seeds and control of food because uh, agribusiness has taken natural seeds and by creating their own modification can patent that. You know, you can do anything that uh, GMOs do with nature. So there's naturally resistant herbicide tolerance. There's natural drought resistance because nature's been figuring this out for millions of years. Yes. Well, why do we have GMOs? Because because when you use genetic engineering to do the same thing, you can patent it. So that's, right. that's so so it's actually just a it's it's a it's a social issue. It's a choice that the society has made to allow the patenting of life in order for people to to own it and create a product and 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 get some product some profit out of it rather than investing in good science, independent science from our good universities that develop that really solve problems of the natural world, solve problems of the social world, how do farmers control weeds naturally, things like that. We have not been investing in that information because it's so profitable for these companies. They've taken over the research agenda. That's another issue related to the social policy problem. Yes. Uh-huh. Patents are the lifeblood of biotechnology. If you couldn't patent these products, this technology would go away right away. Right. Right, because it's and, 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 profit. And, and the patents also, you, you probably have heard about how farmers get sued for having their crops contaminated. Um, that's yes. part of the patent thing too, because if they go to court and their patented some, you know, Monsanto's patented genes are in somebody's crop, uh, the courts have said, you know, I'm sorry, I've got to enforce this patent. The courts' hands are tied; they can't, they can't deal with that contamination. So, and uh, all all crops are being contaminated, right? Because there's cross pollinization that goes, that just goes. It's very difficult to keep, um, to keep crops pure, right? Well, not all crops, because basically these are, and this kind of gets to the, my fourth thing, which is this bad economics. We're mm-hmm. talking about the industrial arm of agriculture, corn, soy, canola, yes. cottonseed. We're talking about those huge acres of green, we call a green desert in the Midwest. Well, more than 60 70% of those crops are basically animal feed and industry. They're not food for people. So this mm-hmm. is a big outdoor industry, 
subsidized by the taxpayer. Now, I want to say something really important about, and you know this, Sharon, about the difference between cost and price. We have a food system in this country that's pretty cheap when you're talking about what you buy at the supermarket. Yes. But the American, the American taxpayer, the American citizen pays a lot for this. We, sp- we have the most expensive health care in the world. We spend about a trillion dollars on um, diet-related health issues like obe- obesity, diabetes, yes. heart disease, cancer. We kill hundreds of people. These are all because of this bad diet. And those, yes. those processed foods are the crops that are the GMO crops, and those are being grown because they're subsidized by the taxpayer. And another billions of dollars a year go into this taxpayer. Plus, we have the environmental cost. When you take all of the health costs, the taxpayer farm bill costs, and the uh, health costs and the environmental costs, you take them all together, we're paying a very high price for this industrial food system. And we can talk about more about that, too, but, but it's a very important issue. People just don't see it. They think, oh, cheap food, this is a good idea. That's right. But they're, they're still paying for it. We're paying for it on the other end. So Absolutely. the last, the fifth one, yeah, sorry to interrupt. You, do no, you no. want to follow up on that? Okay. I mean, no, cool. I could go on and on about any one of these things, but the last one, just to cover the five, is it's bad farming. This is mm-hmm. not how we grow food. Yes for the land and people and communities and our families. This is all about the ag. These GMOs were invented. They weren't discovered. They were invented purposefully by oil-related agrochemical companies to use more oil-related products on farming. And it doesn't solve the problems. Remember I mentioned these weeds that are resistant to herbicides now well, it puts the farmer on the chemical treadmill, which is great for chemical profits, but it doesn't solve the weed problem. You know, there are so many other ways that farmers can solve these problems. Again, with independent science, I am devoted to science, and science yes. is very yes. critical of this technology. But mm-hmm. also it gives us, it gives us a great information and answers to the problems of how we grow enough food to feed people with a healthy healthy food in a healthy planet. So that kind of sums up the issues for you. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a lot, and it's it's multi-tentacled. It's a multi-tentacled issue. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, so you say these were invented purposefully, um, and yet, and we've been told, what the public has been told, is it's for a greater yield. It's, it's to solve hunger. It's to feed more people. If you go into and look at solid science from independent sources, they validate the fact that these um, these crops are not as productive, and they use more chemicals. The use of Absolutely. these herbicides I mentioned has grown, has grown to 20% more since the um, introduction, and actually I think it's something like almost 600 million more pounds of herbicide. And then, you know, we can talk about how that gets in the soil, in the water, and in our bodies. It's a travesty, and and they are lying. I can say I've covered this field for 20 years, Sharon. I have looked into every aspect of it because I'm offended by this dishonesty. I want, you know, it just bothers me as a mom, as a grandmother, as a lawyer, public interest lawyer, as a writer. I'm like, what's really going on here? And when I find that they tell us these lies and that people don't know any better, 
it's it, 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 it's not it's unpleasant to me. So I go back behind it and I look at the science and I try to find out what's really going on. And I'll tell you that those ads that promise all these things are untrue. They're deceptive and they're purposefully being done to put kind of a moral gloss on a, just a nasty technology. Yes, a nasty technology. <laughs> well, you were saying you were saying that these pesticides and herbicides are in our in our soil and in our bodies and and we were talking the other day that you were saying that um, levels of these chemicals are now appearing in breast milk. They are, you know, glyphosate is the main ingredient in the in the herbicide Roundup, and Roundup's been sold by Monsanto as a as a safe product, and it has some interesting properties, at least the way it used to be used, that it would deteriorate fairly rapidly, but it turns out that the active ingredient of glyphosate. Um, it's not necessarily the issue. There are other other ingredients in this product that they found to be quite toxic. So they started studying it more, and then they started finding it in more places, and they found that it was more persistent in the environment, and then it's being used. So while before GMOs, which were created to increase the use of Roundup, you have to understand that. This is what they were purposefully designed to do. They're called Roundup Ready soybeans, for instance. Yes. Um, that they found they, they began to study it, and and they've been realizing that we have farm worker toxicity. We have all these other problems, and then they in Europe they found it in. Um, now they don't have the GMOs there, but they found just the use the agri, normal agricultural use of Roundup for weed control. Um, they found uh, they found it in the urine of people. They found it in the breast milk. Well, when you get to the breast milk, I'm sorry. As a woman, as a mother, yeah. as a grandmother, I still have a daughter right now who's still breastfeeding her baby, her newest baby, and I'm it just it kills me. It's just like I'm so sad. You know, the most beautiful product of food product on the earth is being That's contaminated right. with these private chemicals just for profit. It's it's a travesty on what we think we're doing on this planet. I mean, That's well, right. When it's, it's, when it's in the br- <laughs> well, you are already started. Yeah, I guess so. You are already started. Um, but you know, the breast when it's in the breast milk, that's the essence of life, right? That is that is the basic food that we offer to to our young life, to our young beings, and um, and there you go. So it's in the system. It's it's these, it's a gift these of chemicals life are in the system. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's the one thing that should say this species, us, is a healthy species, that we as mammals can have babies and feed them and get them a good and healthy start on life because breast milk contains all of these anti-allergens and, and, and antimicrobials and, and all these wonderful properties unlike any other food on earth. It's this precious, beautiful thing. And even new mothers who can't do it, you know, that's fine too, but, you know, but they're going to want to have good good f- first food for their babies any mother would that's um, right you know and we can share it and then that's been done over the ages to have that contaminated by these chem- these they're poisons so we're now finding yes. out about the toxicity of that and here's another story that i think uh, i mentioned to you that relates to breast milk breast milk is such a precious thing that this gmo industry took some of these microbes that are unique to the human female body, and they inserted them into rice plants. 
and then they grew. So it's this rice plant that has human genes wow. in them. They planted wow. these rice plants. I wrote an article for World Watch magazine on this. Um, they planted them out under the Pacific Flyway, which is the great migratory bird um, flyway uh, in the Pacific Northwest. They planted them here in Northern California to because they wanted to test them out to see if they could grow rice that had antimicrobials in it so that they could use it to feed birds like chickens who were in industrial conditions in sleep mm, all the time. Mm, so they mm. were creating this toxic, crazy product to help cure a problem from a toxic, crazy practice. That's in, right. You know, <laughs> animal confinement. It's in that to me that was telling. And then they exposed the natural world to this with no regulation, no testing, no restraints. It was just to me it was like a perfect example of how insane this technology and the people who use it can if their thinking is bizarre. It's yeah, it's <laughs> it's um they took that rice out of the way. By the way, the rice farmers, the rice is open pollinated, so it could have been contaminating the rice. And good rice farmers in California, these are not activists and crazy people. They're just farmers. They said, yes. get that stuff out of here. We yeah, don't really. want it next to our crop. We have a really. high, and this is happening all over agriculture, um, We, you know, with, 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 with producers who care about the food, their branded products, um, they want quality uh, who wants this industrial food? I, you know, I don't even. The studies have actually shown that if you give animals a choice between GMO and just conventional, the animals yes. will shun the GMO food. They they even know. I mean, in all sure. these rat studies that show that rats won't yes. eat it. You know. Yes, I've seen. I've seen. I've seen <laughs> photographs of you know squirrels won't eat this corn, or you know animals won't eat that they you know given the choice they won't eat the GMO. Yeah. They that's won't right. eat the GMO food. And we're yeah. not given the choice. We're not given the no, choice. No, that's Because it's right, in about 80%. It's about 80% of our processed food contains GMO ingredients now. So that's yeah. why people... Now, it's, people are getting more savvy about this because because we have these labeling initiatives, which is driving that's right. crazy, right? <laughs> it is. And, but, you know, just even in the last couple of years, it has really brought this conversation forward because yes. of these initiatives, even though the initiative failed in California, or we could say narrowly passed in California, narrowly passed in Washington State, it's going to be coming back in California. But it raised the conversation. So many more people are talking about GMOs. People didn't even know what they were. Yeah, yeah. Well, and believe it, there's still people who don't know what they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it does. So I just want to say wanna... that all the so just we, I know we only have a minute, but all of the things I mentioned are in my book, and and yes. more stories and the valid science that I brought to get bare, but mostly stories about the people and the situation, how this all came about, and that's all in my book, Uncertain Peril, which is still available in paperback. Your book is fabulous, and it's all <laughs> those stories, you know, because you believe in story. And it's conveyed in story, and some of these stories are really horrible, terrible, terrifying stories, but they are um, they're told in relationship to what you care about, which is our relationship with one another and our relationship with nature. Right. So before we get off, I do want to switch the subject a little bit, and I have to ask you, how is it that you're so brave? How is it that you have been all these years um, a voice for nature, a voice for people, a voice for food, a voice for seeds. How is that? 
That's a good, that's an interesting question. You know, I've always been very passionate. I'm, I, my dad always said, well, it's the Irish in us, you know, that we care mm-hmm. about these things. And um, I think I was lucky to be raised by people who were, you know, saying you cared about food, cared about the land. And um, I was raised uh, to have a consciousness of, of Native Americans and the people who came before us. So I think I, I connect the dots, Sharon, between yes. what these things are and the natural world and the social issues. And I was a, um, a 60s activist, you know, at Cal and Berkeley, and I got, um, I got a full dose of, well, you know, we're headed in the wrong direction. And I just was not able to sit back uh, during the Vietnam War. Uh, Interestingly, as you said, I ended up living in Vietnam and farming there. It was such a fascinating story. Um, And so I've had just wonderful opportunities in my life, and I don't feel, I feel that I have uh, no choice, really, but to uh, speak out, to have a voice. And I don't want people to feel like if they can't dedicate their lives to these things, that they don't have a role because we can all do something. We can all buy better food or be more caring about our neighbors or plant something beautiful. You know, there's always something we can do to head in the right direction. That's right, and sometimes it's overwhelming to people to think about, well, can I really change the world? Do I have time? Do I, you know, what? I'm just like in my book, Ursula thinks she's just a speck. She's a speck on a speck. (laughs) What can she do, right? But... But like you say, everyone can do something, and I like to think of it as leaning towards what you love. You know, so like if you love beauty, if you like plant, you could plant a flower. You could go, you know, you could um, ask your store to carry organic food. You can do something towards what you love and towards what you believe in. One of the things I care most about is, when I lived in Vietnam, I noticed that the older people would sit down on their haunches and ch- and talk to a child face to face. And I think I'm moving into the phase of my life where I'm I'm looking at the kids and saying, mm-hmm. "What do they need?" Because they're going to be facing much worse than we faced, much yeah. worse. And so we need to help them. And everybody can be nice to a child. Uh, hold their hand, teach them some skills, right? Take them to the yes. park, take them camping, show them the trees. Whatever it is you like, share it with a child. Because, you know, we, they're growing up in this electronified, disconnected world, uh, and that's not going to help them when, 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 when things go bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. so creating connection, and, and it's... Uh... It's always easy to be with a child. Correct, so creating connection. That's somebody. a great way yeah. to put it. Yeah, yeah. creating connection. Yeah. How can we create connection in, in any moment? Not necessarily in every moment, but in any moment, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Claire, um, how can people find you? How can they read what you write? How can they follow you? What's the best way? You know, I think the most simple way would be to go to my website right now, which is clairehopecummings.com. It's my full name all spelled up, spelled out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I'm redoing that website, but when I get the new one up in a week or two, it'll automatically go over there. So just go look for me or Google me, uh, Claire Hope Cummings, and uh, you'll find my writing. You'll find information about the book and um, and get in touch. I'd love to. I love to hear from people and uh, connect. 
<laughs> yes. We can make connections on any of these things. Well, you are so connected and so gracious and so informed and passionate, and uh, it has just been such a pleasure. We could continue this conversation for a very long time, I'm sure, and will in off the phone. Um, okay. <laughs> Claire, thank you so much and for all that you offer. Thank you, Sharon. Thanks for inviting me. I enjoyed it very much. This has been Passing for Normal, conversations about seeding change in the world. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, go to passingfornormal.com. That's passing, numeral four, normal.com. Donnie and Ursula Save the World is available in paperback, Kindle, and soon to be an audiobook at DonnieandUrsula.com. So go out and do something brave today. M. Earth and I thank you.